You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. And today I'm joined by my co-host and friends, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center. Hello, everyone. And Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hey. Hey. So what have you guys been up to? We were talking about it's it's the time of or the season where we buy Christmas gifts for everybody. And I've been doing a little shopping and I, I know you guys have too. So um Tell me what you what you've been shopping for, and who have you found in your family or friends that are really hard to buy for? So I've done most of my shopping online, like I normally do, but I have a couple of people, mainly my mom and my aunt, who are very notorious for buying exactly what they want whenever they want it. So when it comes to those of us who are trying to give her give them gifts, it's almost impossible. But um, in the town that we live, we have this. Um, these two amazing shops. Um, one's called Red Stag and one's called La Bella V. And they just have all kinds of neat things that, you know, nobody ever, you know, it's not like, oh, I need one of those. But when you walk in the shop, you're <laughs> like, ooh, but I know somebody who does. <laughs> and so that's, that's, that's what I normally do for those people that are nearly impossible to buy for. You know, it's nothing they actually need, but it's fun. So Susan, what was the cool gift that you bought there? Oh, I still haven't bought theirs yet, but that's where I'm going. <laughs> okay, well, cool. What about you, Carrie? Have you bought any interesting gifts for anybody? I have no fewer than 14 tabs open on my computer right now because it occurred to me. So normally I do, I take care of most of the shopping in my family. And my husband is the the last minute shopper who always gets the stellar gifts at the last minute. Really? Like, I That's really unusual. Of, that is extremely unusual. I think I take care of the bulk of everything so that he can focus on like whatever the onesie twosie, like the one present that the kid really likes the one present that, you know, his mom, my mom, whatever really likes like those type of things. So I fill everything out and then he nails it and gets all of the glory. Um, not that I'm bitter, <laughs> but I, I have, I try and get as much done by like December 1st, but I have no, no fewer than about 14 tabs open on my computer right now of holy crap. It is already. And if I am going to get this stuff by Christmas, I need to get it together uh, very rapidly. Otherwise, um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of scrambling. And I have no desire to go anywhere right now because the numbers of COVID in Vegas are really bad. I'm like, the vaccine is so close. I want to be the last last man standing, not the last man falling. Yes. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know that I've gotten any really amazing gifts. The one thing that I think I'm hoping gets the most mileage is a wobble board, which is, it's got all these suction cups on the bottom of it. And so you balance on, on one foot on each side and you can go up and down on each side and it's got the suction cup. Oh, it has suction cups? Mm. Uh, the one that I saw that I think I'm going to get has suction cups because it will keep the small human being entertained. Oh, I'm not sure if it was for you or the small human. So 
No. My husband has one of those. He got it when he got his desk that goes up and down so he's not sitting all the time. And it's what he got a standing desk. And that was kind of my gift to him when he got his new job because I'm like, you're home all the time. So, you know, want you to have this opportunity. And it came with one of those wobble boards like that, Uh but it's meant for you while you're standing so that you're like maintaining your core and, you know, (laughs) things like that. Has his core gotten a lot better since you've gotten the wobble board for him? I honestly don't know if he's used it, but he does use the up and down thing. He, he actually found that he, he was getting up from his desk and walking around. And then he's like, I don't have to be like, he forgets he doesn't have to be sitting (laughs) until he's like getting sore. And then he's like, he'll start walking and he's like, I don't have to be sitting. And it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny. I think that's a good trade-off, Susan. You get him a wobble board and he gets you a six pack. Like (laughs) six pack abs. Yeah. That's a great gift actually. That works. It'll go with the keto diet. So I'll have to say for my shopping, I usually, I I sort of pride myself in being a shopping connoisseur. So I'm always like shopping all the time. So like, you're one of those people who's done by Thanksgiving, aren't you? Well, sort of, kind of, but I, I feel like I do it over time and it's so it's it's fun, you know. Well, in the age of COVID, you know, I've hardly been shopping at all and I'm continually amazed at how much better Amazon's got it, gotten and having kind of real really unique gifts. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about, you know, I asked the question about what who's the hardest person to shop for. Well, my brother-in-law is the hardest person to shop for. He just, he can get anything he wants and, you know, it's just hard to figure out something he wanted. So he likes guns and well, I shouldn't say he likes alcohol, but he does drink. So um, <laughs> I kind of put some different things in Amazon. And what I came up with is the most interesting thing I've ever seen. It's a, well, maybe not the most interesting, but it's a decanter for alcohol. It's in the shape of like a rifle. And then the cups that come with it or the glasses that come with it have like a bullet lodged in them. So it's oh, that's like, kind of cool. So yes, yeah, wow. it's, it's kind of, hopefully he'll like it, but it's, it's definitely kind of unique. And I would have never thought that that would be something that I would have been able to, uh, to get on Amazon. But anyway, so hopefully he's not listening. Abby, I want you to send me a link to that because I actually have someone who would very much appreciate that gift. Okay. Well, I'll do that, Susan. Nice. I like it. I love it. It's a, I, when I got it, I was like, wow, this is kind of a cool gift. If I like guns and alcohol, you know, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, on that note, on that note, uh, the next question on the note of guns and alcohol, uh, <laughs> the the question that For, it is for silly ducks uncensored, you know, Carrie, right? You're telling me the, <laughs> that it's uncensored, really? I'm the one who needs that. <laughs> yes. Um, so, question for the week is: What are the no-nos during the ovarian stimulation process? Some items I wasn't sure about for me. This is from a question asker. Uh, retinol face products, the AHA face products, ibuprofen, Pepto-Bismol, uh, either tablets or liquid for when that nausea comes, hydroquinone for the scars from the vicious acne that comes, which um, I actually haven't seen that in the vicious stage. Um, pimples that come up for sure, but heating pads for the cramping, spray cleansers, uh, in parentheses, it would be totally okay if my husband has to do all the cleaning, um, coffee, <laughs> tea, flu shots, alcohol, and soon the COVID vaccine. So wow, that covers it all. I'm going to defer the COVID part of this to a different episode because we're going to go into that in abundant detail. But um, so let's take it one by one through what she's asking. So first is the retinol face products and the AHA face products. So my general rule of thumb is that 
if you are doing something to immediately prepare for pregnancy, you should not be doing it. You should not be doing something that you would not do during pregnancy. And any retinol um, containing product, mainly for the face is what it's usually used for, um, is not something that you should be using. Um, And the reason is because high levels of vitamin A, which is essentially what retinol is, can lead to birth defects. So I like to keep it pretty simple. Mm-hmm. The AHA face products, I think you get a little bit more latitude with. Um, you know, I still am not as crazy about them, but they're not in the same category as the retinol. Something topical is really likely to be really truly systemically absorbed. So I may not be quite as strict on that as you guys are, but I don't worry too much about topical. I would say the retinol, the stakes are so high that that one's worth saying no. The AHA, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I, I would kind of go with you on that one. Uh, um, okay. Ibuprofen and then Pepto-Bismol. So those are in two very different categories. So starting with ibuprofen first. Abby, what do you think? So I would say no on ibuprofen because ibuprofen um, inhibits prostaglandins. And we think there's some good prostaglandins that may help with implantation. So generally, we don't like people to be on that category, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories when they're trying to get pregnant. Also, if you're stimulating towards going towards IVF, it could potentially increase your risk of bleeding into your follicles, and we don't want that to happen either. Mm-hmm. True. Safety first. Uh, hydroquinone for the scars. And I don't know if she means hydrocortisone, maybe, for scars. Steroids are usually okay. I mean, we even give some steroids yeah. during stimulation. Yeah. So any kind of topical or oral steroids are okay. Uh, heating pads for the cramping. I would say after retrieval, that is okay in moderation. Mostly, I just don't want somebody to fall asleep with the heating pad on and then wake up with nasty burns. I've definitely seen that before, and that's not a good feeling. Um, spray cleansers. Eh, I think it's probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't inhale them. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah, don't drink them or. Yeah. Um, coffee and tea. So those, I would say, same, same kind of general principle. If you're drinking a zillion cups of something a day, I probably wouldn't, um, particularly for the caffeine. That actually comes in supplements more and workout additions and those types of things. Um, alcohol, I think, is a pretty, pretty clear, you're trying to get ready for pregnancy, give us the benefit of everything we can get. And it's not, we know it's not going to help you. And... And it's much easier to just say, hold off those couple of weeks so that we can get it. Um, And then last one is flu shots. Get your flu shot. Get your flu shot. Did I say get your flu shot? Get your flu shot. Would you tell someone to get their flu shot mid-stim though? Like certainly before, certainly after. I mean, surely, surely, surely before transfer. But if they are right smack in the middle of a stim. I wouldn't tell them not to. I mean, why why wouldn't you? What, What are you worried about? Um... I mean, the main thing that I would worry about is if they tend to have any anti-inflammatory response where their temp goes up at all. It's not that they're getting sick with the flu, but it's that it's increasing their core temperature. Um, and that's and not going to last. I mean, that's only like a 24 hour event. So, I, I mean, you know, if you want to be really safe, just wait till after the egg retrieval. But yeah, I mean, the two things that I would worry about with that is one, you crack an egg into a skillet, it sizzles. You crack an egg into a febrile woman, it sizzles. It's not, you know, it's not great for the eggs. Most people aren't going to get a high fever from getting the flu shot. Most people aren't. I think your risk versus benefits, if that's the moment that they're motivated to get their flu shot, then I would say 
get it. I think there's probably very little harm done. I would agree that there's very little harm done. I think that it's mostly the paranoia factor from people afterwards. Like I would say, get it before, get it after. So to the listener, you can see from hearing the three of us talk, not everybody agrees exactly on everything, but we're (laughs) pretty close, pretty close. So, well, now on to our special guest today, and I'm so happy that my former former patient, I should say, Mary Lee Stevens, um, was able to come on today. Her fertility journey is really unique for at least my patients anyway, because it's been about a 15-year-long fertility journey, I guess you'd say. Um, and I hope that everyone that's listening will be kind of inspired by her story, because she's a good example of how, you know, some people that never give up eventually good things happened to him and, and, it, and did to her. Um, so before Mary begins, though, I wanted, with her permission, just to start out and let our listeners know a little bit about her background, because we were just talking before the episode started that, you know, when I met her, she was 16 years old, and I figured she probably didn't remember too much about what happened when she was 16. And so what actually happened was her mother brought her to my practice. Um, she had already taken Mary Lee um, to her OBGYN. And at that time, Mary Lee was 16 and had not started a period, which is you know a little worrisome at that point. And so the doctor there checked her FSH level and it was really high, like 80, which is really unusual. Um, back before we checked other hormone levels like anti-mullerian hormone, we only went by the FSH level. And an FSH over 20 usually sort of signified perimenopause or postmenopause. And Mary Lee's was 80, So when I saw her, I repeated it again. It came back as 70. And so at that point, we kind of felt like that, yeah, she probably was in premature ovarian failure. And, you know, we talked about the ramifications of that. And um, and I'd be interested to to ask you, Mary Lee, how much you remember of all that. But we talked a little bit about that. But really kind of the immediate issue at that point was more she just didn't have estrogen in her system and we were worried about bone density. So she started on some hormonal supplements And really from the age of about 16 to probably about 21 or 22, I saw her back every year and just checked on her and made sure she was doing okay. And then she graduated from college and kind of went off and met her Prince Charming. And then fast forward, she came back to see me about two years ago. And so Mary Lee, if you'll just kind of pick the story up there and tell me what your thoughts were when you were 16 and and tell us the rest of your story. Gosh, forgive me now if I get emotional because I feel like anytime I talk about this, my emotions overcome me and I cry a lot. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) It just happened. Um, Thinking back to, gosh, 15 years ago when I was 16, it was such an unknown thing to me. Um, I had never had a period before and to get sent to a specialist and say, hey, something's not just right was kind of scary and not knowing what would happen. And I can remember sitting in the office with you and my mom and being upset hearing this news, but also like seeing my mom really upset and thinking, oh my yeah. gosh, what does this mean? You know, and, and I can remember Dr. Eblen, you telling me and my mom too, like, this isn't going to truly affect you, this diagnosis until you're married and ready to have kids. And what a full, full circle moment when we came back to you two years ago and said, okay, <laughs> here's my husband. Um, you know, we're ready for this process to start. We're ready for kids. And I mean, it was just a crazy full circle moment where we're, where we're at now. And, you know, I can't remember at that time when you saw me back, I think we said something about, well, yeah, should, you know, I I guess I talked a little bit about donor eggs and donor embryos. And I think at that point you kind of said, well, we kind of like to see if maybe we can get pregnant on our own. Right. Um, that was something, you know, when Charles and I, my husband got married, that was fertility, infertility was something I was able to talk to him about, 
you know, early on, like when we were dating, like, hey, I don't have any eggs. This is what I've been told. (laughs) I know that I'm not going to be able to get pregnant on my own, like fertility treatments are what we're going to have to go through. And um, he was so supportive and, you know, automatically said, "If, if this is what is meant to be, if God intends on you being a mother, you will be. And however we have to get to that point is, is okay. We'll do whatever we need to. Um, so yes, we went in with the thought that we were going to have to have an egg donor and that genetically a baby would never have my genetics. So we kind of went in thinking, okay, egg donor was our, our, the step we were going to have to take. And I remember sitting there and saying, Hey, Dr. Eblin, do you think there's any chance I have any eggs left? My mom encouraged me to say that, you know, she was (laughs) like, just ask, just see if there's any chance that you have any eggs at all, you know? I wanted to back up a little bit because, you know, I, I think all of us in our practices have young women who are in their late teens, early 20s, who we or somebody else has diagnosed with premature ovarian insufficiency. And if you had some words of advice for those teenagers and women in their young 20s, what did you learn from your journey in that time frame? that you would like to share with them? I I guess that you're not alone, that there are other people out there that have that same um, diagnosis or, you know, or other things that are going to inhibit them from getting pregnant one day. I think the biggest thing that, you know, back then as a teenager, it was like, that's scary, but I didn't know anyone else that had gone through anything like that, Mm -hmm. that had any kind of diagnosis. And also then, I mean, it's crazy to think that we live in a time where everything is on social media and everything is out there. And I didn't have that back then. And you didn't talk about that stuff. And I remember talking, you know, a lot with my mom, but also with just a couple of my close friends, like, Hey, this is what I've been told. I I don't really know a whole lot about it then, but, um, that you're not alone. And several of those best friends that I talked to way back then ended up now having fertility problems of their own in different ways, different things that went on. But like, I've got two really close friends that also went to natural fertility and have, have babies now with different problems. But had they known that back then, you know, it would have been so different. I was the only one that knew that. So <laughs> You're probably way more prepared than they were then, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, so I remember, Mary Lee, when you came in with your husband and you said, you know, let's just see if maybe my eggs work. And I said, well, okay, let's. So it, now we have the hormone level AMH. So I thought, let's just check your AMH and see what it looks like. And let's do an ultrasound. And so before you left the office that day, we did an ultrasound. And pretty surprisingly, you had some little tiny baby eggs called microfollicles. And I was kind of surprised, like pleasantly surprised, like, wow. Because most of the time when people are perimenopausal or postmenopausal, when we look at their ovaries, we don't really see much of anything. So I was like, maybe there's a glimmer of hope here. So then we checked your egg number and actually wasn't bad. It was 1.4, which is actually pretty good. And so we all got kind of excited at that point. And so then we started you on the oral medicine and, and other treatments. And tell me a little bit about kind of, or tell our listeners a little bit about kind of what you went through from that point on. Was it smooth? Was it smooth sailing at that point? Um, it was better than what we ever dreamed of. You know, we had sat there and prayed and prayed like, give me eggs, let me have some eggs left. And then we did. And it was like, okay, let these eggs be healthy. It's like our prayer changed every visit. Like, (laughs) okay, we have them now. Are they going to be healthy? Are we going to be able to do this? You know? And so it was like, oh my goodness, genetically this, we could have a baby of our own that has my genetics. It could have red hair, you know? (laughs) And like, we never thought that that was possible. And so, um, 
I don't know if I would say it was smooth sailing. It was always a roller coaster ride of emotions, but it was, hey, this is possible. Like we can actually get pregnant. Well, and the one thing I think that struck me though, early on, I was really excited, like, oh, great, this is going to happen. And maybe, maybe this was a wrong diagnosis or something. But then as time went by, not that I was discouraged, but as time went by, you, you're kind of the way you stimulated and the way you responded, you weren't really acting like somebody in their early thirties. You were kind of acting, you know, we did that oral, um, hormonal medicine, the oral medicine Femara and IUI for a while, then that didn't work. And then we switched to the injectables and you guys did like six injectable cycles, I think, with insemination. And each time you stimulated an egg, but unfortunately we didn't get you pregnant. And then talk a little bit about what happened after that. What was the next, the last thing that you guys did? We just realized, hey, this isn't going to work this way. You know, IUI was not, wasn't changing anytime we did it. It wasn't working. And so we said, you know, okay, let's do IVF. We don't have anything else to lose. Like, let's go ahead and and switch to IVF and, and try this. And I think it was just every time it started off like really exciting. Like, okay, this cycle is going to work. We're going to do this all throughout our IUIs. And then when we decided on IVF, we were like, okay, this is much more definite. I can remember coming in and meeting with you, Dr. Evelyn, and you were like, you felt really good about it. And I think your confidence throughout the whole thing is what encouraged us to keep going, you know, letting us know there was light at the end of the tunnel. This was possible. So then we did that first cycle and first cycle, we got, I think, four eggs, maybe. I think so. Four and then the numbers just dwindled really quickly. Then we had one to test and it was abnormal, genetically abnormal. So we were kind of back to square one there. Tell me how you felt after that first cycle when we got the four eggs and only one abnormal embryo. Sure. It it was, like I said, a roller coaster, you know, like, oh my goodness, we at least got four because we weren't expecting even that high of a number, I think was kind of, we were unsure about that. And so when we got down to just having one to test, um, we knew the odds there. And, and part of me, for sure, didn't feel great about it. You know, we were like, there's a good chance that this is not going to come back normal. And it didn't. And so we had to take a little bit of time. We took a month off. But I remember talking with you and the nurses and you all felt very confident that we could change a few things and and get more eggs and we could get a normal embryo. Um, something going back to when I was 16, I can remember you telling me then getting you pregnant will be the hard part. But once you're pregnant, you'll probably be able to carry this baby. No problem. You know, it's the conceiving that's the hard part. And so we were, we just felt like, let's give it one more go. And if you feel confident in us, then we'll do it. And so, um, we did. We took like a month off and then we came back to you last, was that November, I think, end of October? Something like that. <laughs> and so you came back and we stimulated you again. And this time, I don't remember how many we tested, but we ended up with three genetically normal embryos. That's the point where I started feeling really confident. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. if you talk about what you remember about me, the thing I remember about you, and, and I think this is something I think it would be nice for our listeners to take away, you know, not to say that everybody's story can end up with a happy ending because unfortunately it doesn't. But I do think a lot of times you sort of have to take that first leap of faith if you can, you know, financially and emotionally, because, you know, you don't know and nothing ventured, nothing gained. And when that first IVF cycle didn't turn out so great and you had the one genetically abnormal embryo, I started to worry that, gosh, maybe this just is not going to happen. And then when you came back with the three normal ones, that's the point where I became really confident. I'm like, okay, (laughs) we're going to get her pregnant. And so first transfer, first frozen embryo transfer, we transferred one embryo and you have a baby boy, right? Healthy baby boy. And he is 
a miracle and beyond our wildest dreams that we we have a baby. He doesn't look like anything like me. He looks like my husband. But <laughs> Trust me, it's it's your child. <laughs> he doesn't have red hair. It's okay. But it's it's crazy. I I I'm at a loss for words sometimes to describe what we went through and where we're at now. It's it's just it's a miracle. It really is a miracle. I, I truly believe that too. So along the lines of, of this being a miracle, this is an, an amazing, amazing story. And, and I, that it's wonderful that you've been so blessed. But one thing that I want to make sure our listeners know are, Abby, when you were counseling Mary Lee, either when she was 16 or when she came back to you, you know, a couple years ago and that type of thing, if somebody has premature ovarian failure insufficiency, what type of expectations generally should somebody like that report? Because, you know, when we talk about like a case study or a case like this, you know, it, it's amazing and it's beautiful and, and there is hope, but I always want my patients to also be appropriately hopeful. Correct. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not to say like that everybody's going to end up with a happy ending. And usually what I tell patients, and I'm sure I tell Mary Lee this too, there's about a five to 10% lifetime chance that someone can conceive using their own eggs. And of course that was pre-genetic testing with IVF, et cetera. So I don't know that we really have great data now, but you're right, Susan. I mean, it's not to say that this can happen to everybody, but also on the other hand, the optimistic side of me sort of feels like nothing ventured, nothing gained. You know, you, you don't know. And, and I just think it's really interesting that the way we tested you back when you were 16 told me, you know, with an FSH of 70 or 80, I would never be very optimistic with anybody about getting pregnant. And the other part of it was too, when we determined that you had it, you were only 16. And so we sort of believe sometimes if you're in perimenopausal, occasionally that person gets lucky and the egg gets released and if sperm's there, they can get pregnant. But I knew with you at 16, my concern just was that, you know, you weren't going to be trying to get pregnant for probably another 10 years. And so my thought was, you know, any little eggs that you had at that time that could have potentially resulted in a pregnancy probably wouldn't be around a decade later. Um, So, you know, but you just, you never know, obviously. (laughs) So when you go back to being, thinking about being 16, and certainly when you were 16, egg freezing was still considered experimental. I mean, that was not, not mainstream in the same way that it is now. Um, uh, Just question for both of you. Do you think that you would have wanted to give that a shot, you know, Mary Lee from the patient side and then Abby knowing what, what you knew at that point with, okay, she's 16. She's got an FSH of 70, 80. This is likely not going to improve. Would you have given that a shot knowing that you're going to get just a couple of eggs that you can't do genetic testing until sperm comes along. And that's going to be whenever that is, um, what do you, what do you guys think about that? And what do you think about that now that that is, that is a a very common and very available thing? I can remember asking that question or maybe not me, but my mom asking that. I can remember sitting there with Dr. Eblen and, you know, as a 16 year old, like I said, I didn't understand what was going on fully. And my mom processed it so much differently than I did. But I remember her asking Dr. Eblen that, like, can we go in and freeze eggs? What do we do? You know, and I can remember Dr. Eblen 
not recommending that at the time. Well, and you know, Carrie, that's a good question too. I was actually faced this week with a, a mom from a 12 year old that called and wanted to know if we could freeze her eggs. And unfortunately she hadn't gone through puberty. So she really wasn't a candidate. And that's a great question because I don't know that anybody knows kind of what the appropriate age would be. I think physically we could probably stimulate and get eggs from a 16 year old if they've gone through puberty. But, you know, Mary Lee having gone through all of the ultrasounds that you went through and all that, I I think it'd be really, really hard. I mean, of course, I don't think we could do, it would be very difficult to do vaginal probe ultrasounds on somebody that age that's, you know, not been sexually active. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. I don't know what the right age is to, to initiate egg freezing. I mean, you could definitely do it with abdominal. Like we certainly do that with some of our virginal patients um, or people who've never had vaginal intercourse. You know, you do abdominal probes so that they don't have to deal with the vaginal probe and at least not while they're conscious. And then when you go in for the retrieval, they're unconscious so that it doesn't bother them. Um, But I, I wonder how much all of the prep work that you did with the Famara cycles and then with the injectable cycles really set you up for success. That almost got things up and running so that when you actually did IVF, you ended up in a better situation. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've got a patient right now who is in a somewhat different story. I mean, her, her age, age is higher. Um, but when she first came to see me, her egg count and her AMH level too is, was very, very low. And we've had to work on her uterus to figure out, okay, is this even a possibility for you to carry? And after doing so much estrogen, now not only is her uterus in a much better spot, but her egg count is much higher too. Hmm. Um, and, and so I'm wondering if, if the benefit of starting off low and slow with the easy stuff really paid off for you in the end with with your little guy, with your own eggs, um, which is fabulous. Well, any final words of wisdom, Mary Lee? I think we've talked about a lot of things today. Any last thing you'd like to say to our listeners? I don't know. Just don't lose hope. You know, we were confident. We had gone in this from the beginning saying, hey, are we okay if this doesn't work out at all for us? You know, like there's a chance that it may not. You know, from the very first time we went to see you um, two years ago to say like, hey, are we happy ourselves without having our own children like this? You know, and we we agreed that we were, that it was going to work out the way it was supposed to um, regardless. And don't lose hope throughout it all. It was a roller coaster ride of emotions. It was not easy, but it was so worth it. I can remember Dr. Evelyn, you telling me like, I've never had a patient that's had a baby that said they wouldn't do that all over again. And we would, we would do it all over again, any day of the week, you know I mean? And we have those other embryos frozen and, and we're just so thankful for you and your team and, and everyone in Ask Fertility for encouraging us and for holding our hands through it all. I mean, we wouldn't be here without you all. And we are so thankful. So don't lose hope. <laughs> all those people out there, all those women, just don't lose hope. It's so worth it. And uh, well, thank you. Beautifully said. Beautifully, Beautifully said. said. Thank you for being here, Mary Lee, and sharing your story. I know you've helped a lot of, a lot of people. Thank you. Thank you all. So to our audience, thanks for listening and tune in next week for more. Also, be sure to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. You can also visit fertilitydocsandcensor.com to schedule an appointment with any of us or submit specific questions you have about infertility. All questions are answered on the podcast anonymously for our Ask the Doc segment. So don't hold back. We'd love to answer your questions. All right. We'll talk to y'all soon. Have a wonderful day and an even better week. Bye. Bye. Bye.